guys can maybe take a seat and we'll get started. Excellent. So, um, I hope you brought a pen or something like that. You'll see that you've got a little handout on your seat. Uh, if you're listening online, we're going to have this available for you later. Um, hang on to that, because I'm going to need you at, at some point tonight to just try and make some notes of some things we're talking about to get the most out of tonight. And I really want to add something that's kind of great. And um, it's, um, it's uh, struggling a little bit. If you're joining us online and you don't know me, I'm Brennan, one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace. Thank you so much for joining this night on What's Best Next, gospel-centered productivity. You know, the more people I talk to in our city, the more I realize that absolutely everyone is busy all the time. Uh, I can't remember the last time I heard someone say, uh, I just had a, a lovely, quiet week with not a lot on. I don't know when the last time I heard someone say that. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say that in the last couple of years. Everybody is busy all the time. I think even if you asked our pets, our pets would say, I'm actually very busy right now. I've got so many things going on. But despite being incredibly busy, uh, if you're like me, you're probably also feeling, I'm tired and busy, but I'm not sure I'm making the most of my time. Like, I don't know if what I'm actually doing is the things that God would have me do. Super busy, yes, but are these the things that God wants me to do? And that's really the heartbeat of what we're going to be talking about tonight and really hoping we'll have some time to answer questions as well. You know, if you're not, uh, if you don't know me as well, uh, prior to this year until recently, I was working with two jobs, one for this church and one working, running my own physiotherapy business. Um, so two jobs going on and I just found that it was just incredibly busy, like all the time. Uh, I'd be in a pastoral meeting and then fielding a phone call about a client and then back to the meeting and then doing some invoicing that someone needs and then counseling someone from church and next time I'm going to call and I'm onboarding a new client um, and then I'm dealing with home finances and booking doctors for kids and feeling constantly like going for one thing to the next thing and kind of lacking any sense of direction. Like, what am I even trying to do here? Uh, feeling more like, I guess, like a firefighter constantly trying to put out fires than a builder trying to build something um, in particular. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And the truth is, if you're constantly putting out fires in a building, eventually that thing's going to burn down um, because, you know, we need to be focused on on having some sense of direction. What does God want us for life? I mean, can you relate to any of that? You know, do you sometimes feel like you're just going from one task to the next task to the next task and not even really sure what you're trying to do with your life? Uh, if you do, I can relate to that. Do you ever feel kind of like overwhelmed with what you have on your plate and unsure how to get it all done? Like, how do I just do everything that I have before you? Do you ever have a sneaking suspicion that actually you're not being faithful with how you're using your time? Well, I hope tonight uh, blesses you. The heart of this evening is to look at gospel-centered productivity, how to faithfully and effectively use your time in a way that honors Christ. Um, so in order to just frame tonight... Lower your expectations. Adjust your expectations. We're going to be speaking for about 90 minutes, um, you know, total with our time together. You know, we're starting a conversation here tonight. We're not going to solve uh, everything for you. You're actually going to need some time to implement the things we're going to talk about tonight. And and what I'm going to need you to do at some point tonight is actually to get out your phone, get your calendar, and figure out when you're going to make time to order to look at your calendar and make time to actually implement some of the things that we're talking about, figure out what it looks like uh, for you personally. Later, we're going to have a panel, and you can ask um, any questions that you want. Uh, 
whether you're online or, or here uh, present. Uh, but this isn't a panel of experts. This is just friends, people on a journey. Um, I've picked people that are in our church that I think uh, are leading by example primarily in the way they're serving Jesus with their time. And um, that's why I thought that they're gonna bless, it's going to bless you to hear from, from them. So just to give you a bit of a breakdown of how tonight is um, going to work, um, I'm going to talk for about 45 minutes total across two different parts. So the first part is going to be looking at the Bible and thinking biblically about purpose and productivity. And then we're going to really look at uh, a helpful system called DARE that, that comes from Matt Perman uh, in this book, uh, What's Best Next? That's the basis of what we're talking about tonight. So that'll all go for about 45 minutes. And then after that, we're going to, for the third part of tonight, we're actually going to have our Q&A panel. So if you have a question, uh, really, you know, write it down, make a note of it, um, because we really want to um, answer as many of your questions as we've got. Uh, if you do have questions, there's a number, hopefully, up on the screen uh, to text. That's Riley, and um, he'll make a note of those questions, and he, he promises he won't laugh at your question. Um, there's no such thing as, as stupid questions. But before I do that, why don't I just pray for us as we kick off, and in particular, pray that God would sustain my voice and just help us to, to really get the most out of tonight. Look, I just want to thank you so much for the privilege of coming together around your word to think your thoughts after you and think about this just important question. How do we be faithful with our lives, with our time? How do we be productive in a way that, that seeks to honor you, Lord God? And so often it's so confusing. We, we so often feel like we're directionless. We don't really know what we should be doing. And so we just want to listen to you, Lord God. So I just pray tonight, wherever people are at, whether they're kind of smashing out of the park and, and, and just being really effective and faithful with their time, or whether they're just really battling and, and finding it hard and just looking to make a start and rethink about how they do things, would you meet us with grace? Would we see more of Christ tonight in what we talk about? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the starting place, or we're going to start off with point number one, which is, or part number one, foundations, thinking biblically about your purpose and productivity. And I'm going to talk here for probably about 20 minutes or so. Um, you see, the starting place for thinking about making the most of your time is not, how can I become more efficient? You know, there's a lot of popular books. Back in the early 2000s, there was a popular book called Getting Things Done, uh, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity by David Allen. And he talks of this kind of system of organizing yourself, like working in blocks, keeping a list of everything that you're doing, um, all that sort of thing. And that's a great idea. That's a you know really good thing to do. But efficiency doesn't actually make you productive if you're actually doing the wrong things in the first place. You know, you could be really, really efficient, but if your job is dealing crack, you're actually just making things worse. No, more. Most of our actual work, the things that we do with our lives, um, they actually involve people. We're actually relating to people. And they're not projects. We're actually called to love people, to care about them, to sacrificially serve them. And loving and serving people is not efficient. You know, the first question to ask in biblical productivity is not, how can I do more by being more efficient, but what should I be doing in the first place? And actually, I would say that's actually 90% of our problem, figuring out what are the things that we should be really doing in the first place. You see, the temptation when thinking about how we use our time is to think about self-management. It's about, you know, how do I get more disciplined? 
Um, how do I work harder? How do I work smarter? How do I increase my efficiency? But when we really need help most of the time, it's not actually with self-management, but self-leadership. Am I leading myself to do the right things in the first place? And that's really what we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, at this point, um, many productivity bo- uh, books will start by asking you to consider something of your life, like your funeral. You know, what would you like people to say about you uh, at the end of your life, you know, when your life is over and they get you to think about that and dream about that. But this is still missing the point because imagining your funeral is imagining what you would like people to say about you. And the problem with that is that whole system is still all about you. Um, as followers of Jesus, what matters most is not what we would like our lives to be. That's not what matters most. It's actually what matters most is what God says our lives should be, what God says our lives should be about. So as we begin, we need to first consider what God says about our purpose in life. And that's the question I want to start um, unpacking for us um, tonight. What does God say about what I should be doing with my life? And to really help us to understand this before we dive into the specifics um, and practical questions that I'm sure you have, uh, we need to begin with the story of work in the Bible as a whole. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, mainly in this point. You see, you might think that God has little interest in your work, that, you know, actually that God kind of only is really interested in super spiritual things. But that is not a biblical perspective. God deeply cares about what you do with your time. In fact, you were made to work. Uh, The first point in the story of work in the Bible starts with a garden, with the garden. God creates humanity in his image and places them in the garden to work. Uh, In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. Uh, It'll come up on your screen. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God places him in the garden for what purpose? To work it to keep it, to protect it. Work was a part of God's good plan. Work was not our idea. We were made by God to work. And notice that this was before the fall. God made Adam to work the garden and, and to keep it, to protect it. And Eve was made by God to help Adam in that task. Work was made good by God in the very beginning. See, work is not a product of the fall, but a purpose for which we were made as people. God cares about our work and our productivity because he made us to work. And we all intuitively know this. You know, holidays are really fun. But eventually, after a period of time, we start to get a little restless. This is one of the reasons that most people, when they face retirement, they find that adjustment really, really hard. Because there's something about us as people that were made to work. And that's the first point in the story of work in the Bible. The second point isn't just that we were made by God with a purpose to work, but as we mentioned already, the fall. Uh, in Genesis 3, verse 17, um, it says, and, and to Adam he said, that's God, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
is this picture of God as punishment upon people, bringing a curse to their work. We were made by God, you see, to work, but work is not the way it should be because God has cursed it. We were made to work by God, and we were made to work for God, but in the garden we rejected our master, and so work is now marked by pain and toil. And throughout uh, human history uh, and throughout Scripture, we, we see this again and again and again, fighting and toil and brokenness, just marking work over and over again. And because of this, people who search for purpose and meaning in work without God, they will never truly be satisfied. Because work has been cursed by God, kind of like a living picture of the brokenness in our relationship with Him. And that's the second point in the story of work in the Bible, the fall, that work is, is mud by the curse. God has cursed work, and it's not the way it should be. But not just that, point number three is the new Adam. See, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, as the new Adam. He came as our representative, not just to pay for our sins and failings upon the cross, but also to live a life of perfect work in obedience to God. Uh, Jesus himself puts it this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but how? But to serve to work in service and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came and displayed for us what our lives and work should be like. We're to be servants. Servants first and foremost of God our Father, but also of others, pouring out our lives for other people. And Jesus sets before us this beautiful vision that God had intended for Adam and Eve in the garden, but expands it. Expands it to show and through his life to show himself pouring out of his life for the sake of others. See, in John's gospel, Jesus goes so far as to wash his disciples' feet and then explains to them that this is actually an example that I'm giving to you that you should follow. You should follow my example of humble service. And Jesus reminds his disciples that God's great purpose for our lives is to trust in Jesus, to trust in him, and to devote our lives to loving God and other people as well. And Jesus summarizes it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the third part of our story, the new Adam. Not just the garden, not just the fall, but the new Adam, Jesus, who, who shows us perfectly God's purpose for our work. But it doesn't just stop there. We move on to the fourth point of the story, which is the resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't just pay for our sins and demonstrate perfectly how to work with trusting God in this life, but he rose from the dead. And this is hugely significant to really understand our work in this age. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes the following. He says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. See, since the fall, we've, we've all been descendants of Adam. He's our representative. Uh, he's our representative, and, and because of him, um, our lives have been marked by difficulty and death, and our work is hard. But Jesus' resurrection wasn't only God's verdict on his life to say, yes, he was the blameless son of God. Yes, he did die to atone for the sins of the world. But Jesus' 
resurrection was a sign that Jesus has begun, or God through Jesus has begun to reverse the curse on our work. You see, it's easy to think that the period between graduation and retirement, or when your kids leave home, and it's easy to think about work in, in that sense as just this defined period of time. But through Christ, work can have an eternal significance. You know, although our work is still affected by death and the curse, through faith in Jesus, our work is no longer limited by death and the curse. Our work for Christ will carry on throughout eternity and has eternal significance when done for him. And this is Paul's point exactly when he ends chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's Paul's big conclusion about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means that in the Lord, our work is never a waste of time. It always has purpose. And in fact, it can have eternal significance through Christ. But last but not least, not just the the garden, not just the fall, not just the new Adam, not just the resurrection, but finally, the city on a hill. And by that, I mean the new spirit-filled people of God. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, we now in this life are part of the new city of God, a city on a hill, brightly shining to the world around us through faith in Jesus. We've been transformed by him. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's begun the task of reforming us into the people that he desires, made in the image of Jesus. And transformed by the Holy Spirit, we're able to love God and love others just like Jesus did, to shine into this dark world around us. Um, This is the truth that every Christian, as they go about their work, um, can enjoy and believe that they're working again for God, just like Adam did right back in the very beginning, just like Jesus shows us in a new and even greater way. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so let's pull all of these five points together. Let's pull this all together to now think about God's purpose for us in our work. You see, work was part of God's good purpose when he created us. We were made to work for him. And our work has been affected by the curse. And in a broken world, it's marred by toil and it's marred by pain. But Jesus came as the new Adam to pay for our rebellion and display the perfect life of work for God, marked by love for God and service to others. And his resurrection signals the beginning of the end, the curse and the eternal significance of work that's done for him. And finally, we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit into a new people working for him and displaying his glory to a world in darkness. All right, let's try and take all of that and summarize that even further into just one sentence that summarizes what our work is to be about. Uh, I've, I've come up with this as a, a, a version of what Matt Perman says in his book. You could say in a sentence, God's purpose for our work is that we would work for him, entrusting ourselves wholly to him, and then living for the good of others to his glory. That is what God's purpose for our work is about in a nutshell. Now, I know some of us may be feeling that I've kind of like overlabored this point, but that's actually with good reason. Because unless you are clear about the purpose of your work, it won't matter how many strategies you have. You will not be productive. 
Quite the contrary, in the final analysis, unless you're clear about the purpose for God in your work, you'll waste your work. You'll fail to live in accordance with God's purpose for you in your work. Well, that's our first part of tonight, the biblical foundations of work. And I trust that you've seen that God's purpose for our work is that we would work for him, entrusting ourselves wholly to him, and then living for the good of others to his glory. Well, we're going to move on now to like take that biblical purpose and put it into action with this system called DARE that Matt Perman comes up with uh, in this book, What's Best Next? Uh, so it's a four-part system that starts with each of the letters of DARE. Um, and you're going to see them coming up on your screen. And that stands for define, architect, reduce, and execute. Now, we're actually just going to spend nearly all the time that I have left um, talking tonight on point number one, define, because actually this is by far the most important of the points. If, If you're not clear on defining what your work is, what God is calling you to do, what you're currently doing, um, the rest will not make any sense and, and will be a bit of a waste. So we're then going to dip a tiny bit into the second point, architect. If you want to read more about reduce and execute, um, you can grab the book. Um, we're selling, we've got copies um, at the church bookshop on Sunday, um, or you can just get a Kindle version or something like that. It's a, it's a great book. All right, well, let's kick off with define. And by define, uh, Matt Perman means know what's most important. That's really what we're talking about, trying to figure out what is the most important thing or things that God is calling you to do. Now, I've been trying to make the case so far that the issue in life isn't really that we're too busy. We, we may well be too busy. That might be true. But what I'm trying to argue is that's not our fundamental issue. That's not really what's at the root of our problem. Our real issue is that we lack clarity on what really matters. And we lack clarity on what is most important. To know what's most important in life, you actually need to spend some time crafting a bit of a personal mission statement. What is your life going to be all about? Um, And that's the the first aspect of Define that Matt Perman talks about. Write a good personal mission statement. Now, there's kind of uh, four main points to uh, any sort of personal mission statement. And they really are who you are, why you're here, where you're going to end up, and what your main guiding principles are going to be. Now, you might be a bit skeptical about all this, you know, talking about personal mission statements, and maybe you've tried this previously and you've failed. Well, the reason why that happens, and that's happened to me before in the past, is that so often we actually simply start in the wrong place. We start trying to answer that question, what is my personal mission statement going to be, by looking inwards. Uh, Rick Warren, in his book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, says, says the following. He says, the search for purpose of life, the purpose of life has puzzled people for thousands of years. And that's because we typically begin at the wrong starting point, ourselves. Contrary to what many popular books, movies, and seminars will tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You probably tried that already. You didn't create yourself, so there is no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. See, what we've seen so far in scriptures this evening is that you won't find your personal mission statement for your life by looking within. Your mission statement has actually already been decided for you. God has given it to you. That said, it's actually worth taking some time to put this purpose statement into your own words. That sentence we are looking at before. In a way that kind of reflects you. Um... 
And this will be a valuable resource to keep coming back to each week as you review how you're using your time to figure out, am I being faithful to the purpose, the, 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 the mission statement, the personal mission statement uh, that I believe before God that God has given me? Now, I, w- I want to just um, give you an example of what my one is, what it looks like. It's actually, uh, you can see it on your handout on the second page if you flip it over. And um, um, you can see what I've sort of come up with. This is kind of my version of that sentence summary of what our life should be like. I think it's up on the screen as well. Um, so I, I kind of reread it for myself to say, to glorify and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ in all aspects of my life for the rest of my life. That's what, as in a broad category, you know, I've come up with as my personal mission statement. Now, remember I said there's not just uh, aspects of who you are, why you're here, and where do things end up for you. That's the first three categories. But also an important aspect of a personal mission statement is actually values that you want to define your life by. What is the way and the manner in which you want to conduct your life? What sort of person are you going to be? Um, what really matters about how you operate in your life. And so I kind of wrote out a list of 20 things for myself. Um, obviously, I've given quite a bit of time to do this. Actually, I did this mainly over summer, um, over the summer holidays. Um, but you're going to really need some time to really think about this. Think about, in following Jesus, what are the things that, that really should mark your life? And, and this, this is going to be something that you're just going to keep coming back to again and again. So I'm going to read through them um, you know, quickly. Um, they're going to come up on the screen. Um, you don't need to memorize all these. This is just an example of how I've kind of approached it. So I've, I've written, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength. To love my neighbor as myself. To be a man of prayer, a, a prayerful dependence, constantly meditating on and delighting on the word of God. To love and cherish my wife, Charlotte. To faithfully train my children to know and love Christ. To be a loving and present father who represents Christ. To devote myself to my work as worship to the Lord with my whole heart. To treat others as of more significance than myself. To faithfully proclaim Christ to as many people as I can. To welcome all people in faith with the grace of our Lord Jesus and to treat them as family. To use all of our resources and possessions as stewards of Christ, not as owners. To maintain a life of integrity that is marked by openness and honesty. To continue to look for opportunities to make disciples as Christ commanded. To devote myself to the people of God as a servant and fellow sheep called and equipped by God to care for them to ensure rich times of leisure and enjoyment for my family, especially to aid them loving Christ, that Christ would be always be a first priority and Charlotte's second, to resolve to speak the truth in love regardless of the personal cost, to ever increasingly look for comfort and rest in Christ and not of the things of this world, to always seek to labor in the Lord's strength and for his glory and not my own, and to live with the mindset that my days are few and Christ's kingdom will come regardless of me. Um, so they're the 20, the list of 20 things that I came up with. Um, you could take those, you might want to edit those, you might want to come up with your own list, but I just encourage it's helpful not just to have a mission statement, just to think about what are your values? What do you want the things scripturally defined that are going to mark the way you conduct yourself in following Jesus and living out that personal mission statement? All right, well, what I want to do here before we move on to our, our next point is to just take a couple of minutes to have a go writing your own personal mission statement. So I want you, if you've got a pen, use your pen. If you don't have a pen, grab your phone. Um, and I just want you to just have a little go. I'm trying to type something out um, that is going to be your one sentence of what you want your personal mission statement to be.
I won't make you share it with the person next to you. Don't worry about it. If you're really quick at it, you know, and you've already kind of figured out, you might want to add a couple of guiding principles as well to yours as well. What a couple of things, you know, just as you think that you want. Yeah, these are going to be my core values, some of my core values. One more minute. All right. Well, I trust that's something helpful, just to pause and take stock. What I'm actually on about, what is the broad mission statement of my life going to be? Well, not only that sort of broad mission statement and your values, your core values, but we actually need to probably take a next step, which is to get a bit more specific, to actually think not just about that broader category that in some ways is given to all people, but to now spend some time considering what your life calling or life goal is specifically. What is God calling you to specifically do with your life? Now, you might think this all sounds a little bit worldly, you know, to be coming up with a life goal or, you know, a life calling or something like that. But this is a calling that must align with your mission statement that's been given to you by God. It can't just be completely divergent. No, the mission statement has been given. We're looking about the specific thing or things that God, in light of that, is calling you to do. And this is also something that we see people in the Bible doing as well. Here's one example. Um, I believe it's Ewan's favorite verse. I think it's on her WhatsApp. I just noticed it the other day. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 24 but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was crystal clear about what God was calling him to do with his life. He needs to finish his ministry, which is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He, he had a specific calling for the cause of the gospel amongst the unreached peoples of the Roman Empire. Now, this is not something we can simply think of in a moment. You're not going to 
If you're unclear about what God is specifically calling you to do with your life, you're not just going to be able to spend five minutes and come up with it. No, this is something that should rightly take careful consideration. Uh, This is something that should be prayer-filled. This is something that would be wisely done in consultation with other people to ask other people's counsel. Um, If you're not clear what God is calling you to do specifically, you will feel you're wandering in life. You know, we can have a range of callings that are as broad as the diversity of people in the world. An example of a calling uh, might be something like this. It might be to work on your business in a way that displays God's glory and can finance as many church plants as possible. That might be what you genuinely believe God is calling you to do. It might be to create a home that welcomes as many people as possible and to raise children to know and love the Lord Jesus. That might be what you believe God is calling you to do. It might be to be a pillar in our church and to pour yourself out for the sake of others in our church community and and to contribute in any way you can to its flourishing. That might be what you believe God is calling you to do with your life, but it's worth prayerful consideration. Your mission statement may have been set up by God, but we actually need to give thoughtful consideration to what God is calling us to do and to live out of this purpose. So I want to give you another example, which you'll see on the bottom of that same page under personal mission statement. You can see I've written my life goal that, you know, what I've, you know, before the Lord feel God is calling me to do. And I've written um, to glorify God by planting and strengthening as many churches as possible before Christ returns or calls me home. So that is what I believe God is calling me to do with my life. And that's going to be clarifying, you know, because with that mission statement, with those values, with that life goal, that, that, that purpose statement, you believe God is calling you to do, we can now begin to filter through and think about what we're actually doing and whether these things align. So I'm going to give you another one minute or two minutes not to write your personal life goal or uh, your calling in life, but to get out your phone, and this is what I want you to do. Mark in your calendar a time when you're going to stop and mark out time to begin to consider your personal mission statement and your life calling. So I want you to figure out right now a time when you're going to look through your calendar and your schedule and make time to kind of put some of these things into practice. Because you actually, I believe, uh, Andrew Heard said this the other day, need to make time just to start the process of thinking about when you're actually going to make the time to do this. Um, so I'll give you a minute just to do that quickly now. All right, so we've looked at our personal mission statement. We've looked at finding your calling, what God is calling you to do with your life as best you can discern and taking your time to do that. There's one last point in this uh, topic, this D of define, that's really important. And that is the, the third point, which is to clarify your roles. Now, we've spent some time thinking about your personal mission statement, your life calling. This final piece of the puzzle is actually just to think about what you're actually doing right now actually get it all out on the table before God. Um, And you can generally do this, and what Matt Perman encourages you to do is to do this by making what's called a role map. And you you can have two types of role map. Um, 
there's a role map for life and a role map for work. Um, so I think up on your screen, you'll probably see in a, a second, if we flick through all those, but yeah, there we go. So this is an example of one of my role maps for life. So I'll just move out of the way. So you can see across the top are all of my different roles as a pastor in the church. So I've got individual roles, um, you know, planning and workflow. Workflow is basically like the things that you need to get organized to set your day up, answering emails, scheduling tasks, thinking about your schedule and all that sort of thing. Um, preaching and teaching, Sovereign Grace Churches, so there's denominational responsibilities I have. In running the academy, there's responsibilities. In leading mission in the churches, responsibilities. In youth, and lastly, there's just some admin things that I've got as responsibilities right now. So it's helpful just to kind of create a table and list all of those different roles that you currently carry. You know, it might be as a student, it might be, you know, um, as a faculty member or as a teacher, and you're the, you know, you're the year coordinator, and you're also on the dance committee, and you're, you know, whatever. List them all out and then list the actual tasks that you have to do underneath that as well. So that's one aspect of it, your roles in your work. So it's a a role map for work. The second type of role map that's really handy to do is to have one for life as well. Now, I've included a sample table that you can have um, just on the back of this, you know, right here. And in life, you know, you can role map out by thinking about four different categories. Uh, yourself as an individual, what are your responsibilities just as an individual? What are your responsibilities in terms of your family? Now, that it doesn't just apply if you're married and have children. Um, everybody's part of a family. Uh, so thinking about that, your parents, you know, as a child, your extended family, so on and so forth. Your church, you know, part of the DNA of being a follower of Jesus is to be connected to a body, to be part of a community. What are your roles and responsibilities in the church? And then what are your roles and responsibilities just in wider society, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your community, to your state, to your country, and as a citizen in the world? And so just to get all those down so you're thinking about all these different categories. So once you've sort of spent some time um, considering these different areas, these different role maps, for each role... Um, you can also go through and make a list of all the different projects that you've got on the run, all the different responsibilities that you have, all the different tasks that you have to do, the research assignment, the renovation project that you've got going on, the seminar for work, the business proposal or the audit, um, and the subtasks, you know, doing the laundry, the email, printing something or whatever. Um, you can actually use some task management software and stuff like that to help you with it. We use a program called Todoist at church. And just to have it all out in front of you, what are all the different things that you've got as responsibilities before you? And once you have all of those before you, you can start asking some really important questions. And these are questions like this. Am I faithfully performing my roles in a way that glorifies God? That's a really important question to ask. Am I faithfully currently able to do all the different things that I've got before me? A second really important question to ask, once you have all of it just out on the table, you've listed out everything that you're doing, um, are these roles aligned with my mission statement and my life calling? Are there things that are missing? You know, as I consider everything that I've got on the plate, maybe I realize that I'm barely present at church. Maybe I'm not even attending Sunday very often, let alone actually giving myself to serving and loving the body of Christ, something that's a primary calling of a Christian. 
you would have to say, well then, okay, that's really important. That's a, that's a, a vital responsibility that I have before God. How am I going to think about what I'm doing? Maybe something needs to go. Um, maybe I've not been present at home. I've not been discipling my kids, helping my kids to know and love Christ. Well, that's a primary responsibility that I have. Maybe I'm just like flaking on my job, you know, and I'm not actually honoring Christ with the way I'm conducting myself in the office, setting a good example in the quality of the work that I'm producing and, and being a loving witness at work and so on and so forth. Um, are these roles and the way I'm fulfilling them aligned with my mission statement and calling? And I think without having that clarity, you're just going to lack direction as to what you're doing. You see, define is the most important piece of productivity. You need to figure out what your purpose in life is, what God is calling you to do in light of that, and then examine what you're currently doing. Um, And that's the majority of what we want to talk about tonight, define. We also want to dip into the second, remember it's dare, D-A-R-E. The second is called architect. And really by architect, what Matt Perman means is creating a flexible structure. Now, obviously, we've spent time looking at the big picture. This is where we kind of, we're just going to start to drop into some of the detail about organizing this. And one of the most helpful things, and I found this so helpful, I started doing this at the start of the year, and it's really helped me a lot. Um, One of the most helpful things you can try and do um, uh, and make sure you're using your time faithfully is to have a a flexible weekly schedule. And I'm going to talk you through uh, what that looks like. Now, we don't want a schedule that is too detailed or too specific. Okay, that is not helpful. Uh, you won't keep it, and you won't able to be actually generous and flexible with your time when things come up to love and serve others. If you've got a really detailed you know, schedule and someone is in need and comes to you, you're going to be like, bro, I can't help you. You're going to mess with my schedule. You know, we can't have that as Christians. We need to have a, fle- a degree of flexibility to be able to engage with people and love and serve people because that is what God is calling us to do. So we don't want it too detailed um, or you won't keep it. Uh, uh, you, so, and we want it to be flexible so when things come up, we can move it and, and shape it a bit. So what I want to do is just to show you an example of what this can look like by sharing with you my schedule for, for last week. So every week I kind of refresh this and this is just the first page of your handout. Um, so if you have your hand out there, grab it and see on the first page. And you can see I've entitled it uh, Weekly Schedule. And you can see what I've got here is I've just got um, hours um, broadly grouped with a lunchtime schedule from 12.30 to 1 o'clock. Um, this is actually pretty much identical to what the uh, Academy guys got recently. Um, there's an early morning one, a before lunch one, a lunchtime one, after lunch, the sort of late afternoon to dinner slot. Um, and then the evening schedule. And you can see that I've put things uh, across in the morning sections. I've got some free time scheduled in days. Now, this was the long weekend, so uh, this doesn't necessarily reflect what every week looks like, although we try to schedule four nights a week for us, for church, um, um, three or four nights a week, um, and then have some nights that are just free time. And you can see, you know, if you drop into Saturday, um, devotions, was aiming to go jogging. I didn't. Sorry about that. Um, I met up with a guy from Alpha who's um, recently become a Christian, Josh. That was a really great time. Then we had the Yangs over. Then we had some free time in the afternoon, helping the kids go down, and then free time again in, in the evening. And that's an example of my schedule. Then you'll see underneath that what I've, I've done across here, um, actually Riley helped um, put this one together, and I've just edited it for my purpose, is I've got a list of my roles 
and some responsibilities that I've put underneath as well. And I find this really helpful because this enables me just to be reviewing what are, what are all the things that I actually um, being called to do that I have on my plate that are areas of responsibility for me. So I'm constantly going back and saying, oh, you, you know what? I'm responsible for running the mission advisory team at church, that's MAT, but actually I haven't given that a lot of thought in a couple of weeks. I probably need to schedule some time to make sure I'm being faithful to that. Then if you flip over, I also keep nice and close that page that you guys have been looking at, which is this personal mission statement. So I can, as I think about at the start of my week, when I schedule time to plan and set up the whole week, um, which is usually on a Sunday, a Monday, or sometimes on a Tuesday. Um, I'm reviewing that mission statement, my, my purpose statement, or my life goal, my values every week. So as I'm setting up my week, I'm giving prayerful consideration to what am I all about? Where, where have I decided before God that I'm trying to build my, what is God calling me to do? And then as I schedule things into the week, I'm, I'm thinking about that goal and reviewing that goal to make sure I'm not drifting from what I believe God is calling me to do. So that probably brings us to another aspect on the sheet, which is this weekly setup process, um, which I just want to you know, briefly talk you through a couple of points um, before we kind of break, um, and then we're going to set up the panel so we can, we can talk through that. So there's a weekly setup and a daily setup. I mainly focus on the weekly setup. This is the one that I have been doing. I haven't been a- applying so much to the daily setup. Um, so the first step is to just actually spend some time just praying, asking God, you know, my time belongs to you. I want to commit it to the Lord and just say, hey, God, um, reveal to me, make clear to me the priorities for this week. What should I be doing with my time? You know, we believe our time doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. We want to be faithful to honor him in that. And then, as I said, reviewing uh, my mission, my principles, and my life goal. And then secondly, we want to define our priorities for the week. And there's two really good questions that Matt Perman raises in the book that are really, really important when it thinks about what you're going to actually schedule for your week. And these are two questions to reflect on. What do I need to do this week? And what do, or, or what would I like to do this week? They're two very different things. What do I need to do to be faithful to what God is calling me to do? That's a really important question. That's the most important. And then what are the things that I would like to do this week but might not fall into that category of what I need to do this week? And it's important to dovetail those out because we need to always be doing the things we need to do, but we can't always have opportunities to do the things we want to do. Um, I guess that's what we're getting at. Uh, and then you can go through and just review you know, your goals and your roles, your projects. You might out your to-do list, you know, if you've got a software, OmniFocus is another one, um, or maybe you've got your um, uh, Microsoft, uh, what do they call it, um, notes, um, the checklist, I forget what it's called, on Apple and stuff. Um, look at your calendar um, and pull that all out. But don't forget also, and something that Matt talks about in the book, we also want to get creative on doing good as well. God's calling us to love and serve others. So it's also worth asking the question, are there any opportunities I might have to act against some injustice or a person in need or to do good towards a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker or a community, a person in the community and take small steps towards larger problems? Is there something I could do towards poverty or helping someone with disease or a project for clean water or something for the gospel? Um, there are other things to, to consider. Then another third good step on this setting up the week is to think about the priorities and to kind of organize them in a way that makes them easier to do. It's helpful to take really small tasks and clump them together um, rather than do them kind of spread out. 
and to allocate larger blocks of time for bigger projects where you want to kind of, it's basically, you want to kind of be able to have an opportunity to get in the zone, if you've experienced that before, where you're just really getting into that rhythm of working on, on a bigger project. Um, so there's some little points. There's some other things under this uh, second point here that you'll see on your sheet, the daily setup process that, that you can um, do, just thinking about how your day is going to um, outlie, which I do do to some degree. Schedule your day at 70%. His basic point there is um, often, and I, I did this sometimes when I was running my business, but if you cram your day in with so much stuff, one, you're going to be so stressed out, the quality of what you're going to do is going to be poor. And two, you're just not going to have flexibility to actually do what God is calling you to do, which is to be generous with your time towards others. Um, um, consolidating things into large chunks. There's a bunch of other things on there, um, but a really important one. In everything, ask number eight, how can I build others up? And number nine, utilize the key question in the name of the book, what's best next? What is the most God-glorifying thing that I can do with my time this day? Well, let's just quickly summarize everything we've talked about before we take a break and move to our, uh, our panel and answer any questions you guys have got. Um, let's think about everything we've talked about in three different categories. Purpose. God's purpose for our work is that we would work for him, entrusting ourselves wholly to him and living for the good of others to his glory. That's that sentence we came up with together that summarizes God's purpose for our work. The core strategy that we've been talking about that Matt Perman talks about in his book is know what's most important and put it first and spend time developing a personal mission statement and a life goal to kind of aid you in knowing that. And lastly, the core tactic is to plan your week every week. Then as things come up throughout the day, ask, is this what's best next? And either do them right away or if you can't, slot them into your calendar or your actions list so that you'll be sure to do them at the right time. And that, my friends, brings us to a time to take a break, think about uh, what we've been talking about, and maybe turn to the person next to you and ask, what's one question you'd like to ask the panel? And we're just going to take a couple of minutes getting set up with our chairs um, and ready for our Q&A time that's going to be led by Riley. So thanks, guys. I'm actually... Oh, hello. Um, I'm actually the pastor at Sovereign Grace Parramatta, but... I I don't really know why Brendan subbed me in to help out tonight. I, don't, I definitely don't feel like I'm an expert, so maybe I'm here to ask questions and just learn for myself because I very much struggle with this. So that was really helpful, Brendan. That was really good. Um, it's, it's actually a joy to watch you work because you're a very productive man, uh, and I've learned a lot from you. And we spent a week together at the Reach Australia conference, and I just was peppering him with questions like, how do I feel like I'm not doing this? How do I do it? And you've been very helpful. And that, those two questions, what do I need to do and what do I want to do? Oh man, that has been so helpful the past two weeks when you mentioned that to me because I realize what I want to do feels like what I need to do, <laughs> but it isn't. And, uh, yeah, apparently watching YouTube isn't part of my job description. Um, so <laughs> got to separate that out and, you know, et cetera. Uh, so why don't you quickly just introduce yourself? What are the, some of the big rocks in your life? Don't give us your whole life story, but, you know, the main things that you get done. What are the best things that you do briefly? Um, well, the big rocks in my, in my life, I guess, the things that I, I do during a week, I, I spend um, three days um, working on my business, which is essentially investments, and then two days um, with church, um, essentially. 
and I'm married. Um, that's another big important. You failed. You that's failed. That's a foundation. That's the foundation of it. Is is I'm married with one wife and three kids. Oh, good. Yeah. So things got a lot simpler for me this year. Um, so my big rocks are the church and my family. I, I would say. And. Um, so my big rocks, uh, I'm married it, to Janelle. Names. My, my name is Oliver. Um, yeah, learn from it. Lungi, good. We've got three children. And so during the week, I am, I'm an accountant. I run an accountancy practice. And so that takes up a lot of my day. And, um, and then our family is our family. Yeah. And we lead a youth group. As, no, no, we don't. <laughs> we lead a gospel community group. Right? We don't want to lead Ollie's a youth group. Ollie's going back Paul's about great 20 years here. I'm just going to pass over to my wife. When was the last time you were officially a youth group leader? And I'm also the finance director for Sovereign Grace Warunga. I'm just ignoring the youth group comment. When? Um, When? When were you a youth leader? When was the last time you served on a youth leadership team? Other than like hosting youth at your place. No, 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 no. You were officially a youth leader. I was officially a youth leader, I think, in 2009, maybe, before I, yeah, moved here. Yeah, there you go. I'm Janelle, married to Ollie. Um, my big rocks would be children. We've got a four, well, my husband first and then, then my children, but he goes off to work during the day. Um, so I'm just thinking about my day. Um, we have a four, a three and a one year old. Um, and the big rock has been many, many weeks of sickness. So it feels like a lot. Um, the other big rocks would be serving at church in various capacities and starting a business this year. What's your business? Hills Nutrition and Fitness. Represent. If you need some nutrition and fitness, you live in the hills, hit up Nelly. There you go. Free plug. Uh, and that goes on the internet too, so you out there. Um, there you go. Weren't expecting that. Okay. What, of all the things Brendan said, or that was in the book, what's one thing that you found most helpful? You guys are productive people. You get lots done. Um, you got a lot of different spheres and a lot of rocks going into the bucket first. If you don't know that analogy, look it up, Stephen Covey. Um, but what was one thing that you're like, oh, that is really helpful, really defining or clarifying or putting language to something that you've instinctively done? I'm going to say two, but just... Because the first thing, though, for me that was really helpful was that what we do matters, and that was in the book. And so for me, sometimes I can feel the mundanity of what I do during the week and just I'm purely doing compliance work today and I'm just ticking boxes for the tax office or for the client or whatever it would be, but actually what I do matters during the day and I'm doing that for a reason. Um, And the second thing is, for me, it's, and I've started talking with some of my staff about this as well, it's how do I make sure the big rocks are the things that are, that's really what's best next today. So how do I make sure I prioritise those and other things that happen through my day, like phone calls or emails, don't just vie for attention straight away. And they, those little things become big things unintentionally. And so I get to the end of my day and the big rocks are all there sitting there. So that's been a really helpful thing for me just to try and figure out how do I plan that to make sure that I do what's best next. Yeah. 
I'm not sharing. <laughs> Riley doesn't like to share. Oh. It's your, your mic and our mic. Yeah. All right. Sorry. It would make more sense. <laughs> I gave it to you. Yeah. Give it back down to them. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. I feel I feel bad now. Um, well, one, one, one big takeaway for me, because I, I, I'm a, a person who by nature likes to pack a lot of things in. Um, my wife, um, loves that, not. Um, and, um, and one, one thing, I think I'll, I'll follow Ollie's example, two things. One thing I, I really kind of learned was, okay, efficiency is not the end goal. I, 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 I think I, I can tend to idolize efficiency and how much can I fit in in one day. If I can do, a, you know, 110 things in a day, that's, that's a good day. Um, but that, might not be the most helpful. And I think, which comes to my second point, which is, you know, all we do has to be defined by our values. I think having a values approach helps narrow down and helps me focus on what are the, amongst 110 things I need to do today, what are the one, what, what are the things that I, I need to get done? Um, and those are the immovable things. You know, is it spending time with the Lord? Um, and, and, um, and, and as we look forward in the week, what other things that must get done? Um, that helps to clarify. And so therefore, if I don't get 110 things done, um, which for, for fruit of that is, 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 um, I'm constantly, you know, frazzled, constantly, you know, any, 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 any phone call that's, that's not expected, I get frustrated because that's going to get in, in the way of me achieving 110 things. Whereas I think, you know, having, having this kind of framework where you are, Trying to steward the time that God's given me well, um, actually may involve taking that call or, or serving that other person. Um, and, uh, so it just kind of really, really helps clarify, uh, for me. And therefore, I think the fruit of that is that I don't need to be running like a headless chook all day long, but to, to plan my day, um, faithfully use it well for the Lord. And that's a good productive day. That's all right. I'll talk in the meantime. Um, I think uh, a little bit similar to Ollie. Um, for me, reading the first part of the book just almost redeemed some of those activities that I have to do day in and day out. And so for me, particularly thinking about being a mother at home full-time with our children, at times I can feel um, it is the same <laughs> and I do the same things every day. And yet I can bring much glory to God through the way I love and care for these children. Um, I can do good um while I am um, at home with these children, and there's purpose in that. Um, God can be glorified in that, and it just really redeemed and helped me think about motherhood, which I spend most of my time um, doing, and it's definitely, you know, one of the big rocks uh, in my day. The other thing, too, is a bit uh, similar to what you said, Riley, is just what do I need to do versus what I want to do. A, a, a flippant example of that is what do I need to do? I need to clean the house. What do I want to do? I want to rearrange the whole house. Um, but that may not be the, it, my poor husband, um, but that may not be the best use of my time. But what you can see in that example is um, what I want to do may not be the most helpful thing to do or the right thing to do. And so it's just, it. my big takeaway from the book is I need to start thinking about my time um, because, you know, we often say I don't have enough time, but God has given us the perfect amount of time. It's just what I do with my time. And so thinking about it for me is a, a first point of call.
What was your favourite thing about your talk? No. <laughs> uh, no, let, let, let's move on. Let's ask you another question, which is... Um, so we've got work, we've got family, and then we've got this big heart, right? You, I know your church. You guys love serving at church. You love, you know, the Lord. You want to do things for Him. So how do you guys think about that with you've got work outside the church, you've got all these other things, commitments, you know, that role map that you had up, Brendan, there's like there's like 50 things in there. You could put tasks under each one of those spheres. So how does the life of the local church fit into scheduling and priority for you guys? And how has it even, say, for you before working for the church and things like that? How did you get church in there? I think for me, when we first planted um, Sovereign Grace Church, um, it was so exciting. We were all in in everything. And I think because the church planting team at the time was quite small, you did anything and everything. And so one of those... So I'm um, on maternity leave still from my teaching role. Um, and so I worked full-time as a teacher. I used to serve in kids' work, but it got to a point where I was like, I'm exhausted. I see kids all day in my nine to five job. Um, I don't want to serve in kids on a Sunday. Um, and so for a time, which was fine, I came off the teaching role. Um, but for me, I was actually, I think the Lord really challenged me. And I just had this um, moment of God has given me gifts and I need to first and foremost use them for him. And so for me, that conviction was, how can I use my gifts to serve him first and foremost, but within the context of the local church? Um, and so I think I love our church. I, I absolutely love our church. But I think that for me then has become um, just... Uh, 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 what, what, what word am I going to use? A goal is the wrong word, but just um, a defining principle in my life. What gifts have God? What gifts has God given me? And therefore, how can I steward them within the context of the local church? Well, for me, um, the church is the body of of, of believers, and um, the way I see the church is the local church is basically people coming together and running the race together. And and so for for me when I first um, came to this this church, you know, I went through one of the you know toughest period of my life, and Brendan was, was testimony to that. Um, but one of the things I walked away with that, with then was that all I need in my life is the Lord and His local church. Um, and if He's given me those things, I can lose everything else in my life, and I would still be satisfied and content um, with Him. And the body of believers as he's blessed me with. And, and so for, for me, the local church has always been, um, uh, important. And, 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 um, it's, um, as Ephesians says, 3, 310, you know, um, the church is, is the manifold wisdom of God revealed. It's, it's through the church that God, you know, displays his, his glory, um, through people like us. And I think the church also helps us in our, in our, in our, in our walk with the Lord, we, we, we're saved not into, to, to kind of walk lives by ourselves, but we're saved into a community of people that we can, you know, run with and, and, and bear each other's loads, um, and to love for and care for each other. So I think the church is, is indispensable in the sense of it actually, uh, keeps me rooted in, in, in Christ, keeps me walking and growing in Him. Without the church, I can't grow by myself. So, um, so with that in mind, um, then, you know, the, the church then plays a huge role 
in, in what I do. Whether I was you know, working five days in in a in a in a in a, in a bank or whatever, the church was 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 still you know um, an important foundation because without it, I know I won't be growing. Without it, I know I won't be uh, maturing. I won't be um, being able to do fellowship with people. I'll be probably going backwards. Um, so my perspective, yeah, I think the church is, is ultra ultra foundational. Yeah, I'd say like. Um Obviously, like, you know, being a pastor, like, you're going to say that you're pretty committed to the church. <laughs> like, you'd hope so anyway. But, like, growing up, my dad had a value of going to church each week, but I don't think I really understood why that was. Like, I just think I felt like there was a thing that we did as a family, but what was it based on? And I think I went through a period of time where I was a bit more, like, skeptical about the church and questioned, you know, the leader's motives and things and I probably still went because it was a value from my dad, but I don't think it was informed value. And I and I think why this matters is because um, if you're not clear about the place of the church, the people of God in the Christian life, it's really easy to for it not to make the cut on on your values. There's this um, research that's been done that says that basically Christians in Australia believe they're far more committed to their churches than they are. When you ask them um, how often do you go to church, they report far higher than they actually do. Um, so their self-perception of their commitment is way higher than what it actually is. And I think unless you sort of see the central place of the people of God in the Bible and what God's calling you to do, um, as soon as you let in that one little thing, um, like, you know, the, the sports event you want to go to, there's nothing wrong with going to sports events on Sunday, but you let that in and then there's a children's birthday party on Sunday that comes up. So you let that one in and then your kid wants to do sport on Sunday and you go, Oh, I'd rather not, but I guess it's really important to them. So I'll let that one in. And then before you know it, you're, you're part of the average attendance, committed attendance to find out, which is once a month. Um, and church has become a peripheral part of your life and you don't even realize it is. You still feel you're really committed and you're a part, but you've, you've actually slipped to the periphery. And that's why I think this having a clear mission, values, and a, a life goal, uh, understanding what God is calling you to do is so crucial because that will inform the decision you make when the kids' party comes up, when the you know you realize, actually, you know, the... the my, my, this is a value for me, you know, that we, we love God's people, we gather with them, and, and so on. And if you tie what you said earlier about, think about people, not tasks, seeing the church as people, not a task, like went to church, went to life group, but actually I served my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm here to build and make disciples. Then it's a totally different task in that sense. Uh, anything you want to add, Ollie, to that question of how to, no, pretty good. Yes. All I'd say quickly is, for me, it's important for us to be, like, as a family, Sunday is a church day. And um, and gospel community group night, we, well, people come to us, but we go to gospel community group because I know, for me, in my heart, that if I'm not doing that, my mission, which I know that's my mission, but that's not going to be how I'm going to live out my life because I'm going to be very quickly pulled another way. So I need brothers and sisters around me to help me run my mission that God has entrusted to me and is to help me run the race. Yeah, so for, we have to. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, let's get some audience questions. Thank you, people, for texting in. I think this is a good one. 
to to help. It's a hard one because I'll read it. I'll just be quiet. Uh, how does a good-hearted Christian person who wants to help everybody and serve them, who asks for help, not get burnt out or neglect having downtime to refresh? You're a good-hearted Christian person, Nelly. What do you reckon? <laughs> it's really oh, it's really hard, and I think that's where the premise of the book comes in really handy to start our week, start our year, start our day praying and asking God for wisdom about how I should spend my time is really important. And I think secondly, we've talked a lot about having brothers and sisters around us. And I think we actually need to ask for input. Um, we have gospel communities, we have growth groups. Um, I'd be, or you have a spouse, I'd be sharing with someone Here's our diary. What do you think priorities for me should be? Um, how do you think I've spent, I should spend my time? I've been praying. Um, this is what I've come up with. Here's my goal. Here's my mission. Here's my priorities. Um, and yeah, so I think there's wisdom in praying and wisdom in seeking counsel. But I get the temptation and the challenge because it can be, um, super hard and I'm very encouraged by your heart. I think a big thing also is acknowledging that um, you are a human, um, a good-hearted human, and you're not the saviour. Um, only Jesus can can save, and, and you know, world poverty is still going to be here. You know, and and doesn't matter if you if you keep you know working your, your guts out, um, you're going to be making that much of a dent. Um, so um, I think you know, can, all, all you can do is be faithful with your time. And I think if you're spending 24 hours, seven days a week. Helping that, you're probably neglecting something else. Um, and um, so I think, you know, that's just, I think what I'm saying is that prayerfully consider how you can be helping people. I think you want to be stepping forward, helping, you know, the, the, the those who are uh, disadvantaged in, in community, um, showing Christ's love to them. Um, but equally, you have other roles to fulfill. And, and um, so I think prayerfully consider how, how God might want you to be stewarding your time. And to know that, yeah, that Jesus ultimately is the saviour. You, you can't be the, the saviour. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that verse, um, James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. There's just a promise there that if you if you don't have wisdom about how you should be using your time um, and how much you should be doing um, so that you don't burn out, you can ask God, and God will be faithful to give you that wisdom. I think one of the things that, I mean, this trap, I think pastors fall into it more than anyone else. Because yeah. like you're doing like your whole job in life, it's it's your life, it's your passion. It's like a small business in that there's no boundaries. Like you could do endless amount of it and then you feel like you're doing it for Christ and so it's hard to say no to things because you care about people and you want to say yes and you feel like you could make a difference and help them. And so, yeah, it's 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 a real life application for anyone who's in pastoral ministry. Um, but I think something that's really helped me is just that schedule, one, to just plan out your week and make sure that there's time that is there in the week that is going to be time for rest, which might look like reading a book or whatever it is for you. And then just to keep reviewing it. Um, a big part of the question is what sort of fruit am I producing in my life? Is what I'm giving myself to bearing good fruit? 
in that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are growing in my life, love and joy and peace, peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Um, are they increasing in my life or is it bad fruit? If you're bearing bad fruit because you're grumpy and tired, I mean, that's a clear sign that some something's going wrong. Like you, 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 you are probably, if you're starting to resent every person that you, you start to, oh my goodness, you just go, you know, and, and you're getting like a, a surly tone in your text messages and things. And, you know, that's a sign that you're probably, you're probably doing a bit too much and you need to wind back. So it's not like you sign up for something and then that can never change or you make a weekly schedule and that is your weekly schedule for life. No, every week, um, getting in the habit of reviewing it and saying, you know, so, um, a topic, Charlotte's been sending me encouraging messages. She's watching online and, um, you know, constantly is that conversation. How was that last week? You know, was that too much Did I put too much on? Um, was that okay? You know, so it's a constant topic of conversation for us. Um, if you're not married, maybe it's a housemate or, you know, it's a friend or a colleague or a trusted Christian, someone in your gospel community that you can ask the same thing. Not to belabor this one, but I think it's a really important one because this is our constant thing. We want to serve people. Uh, a thing I saw when I was at pastor's college in the U.S. that the, the wives of the main pastors did is they, they had a, a strategy. Uh, they would already come in and say, I won't be able to meet up with you because I don't have the capacity to do that and I want to do it really well and I actually don't have the time, the resources and energy to do that effectively. So can I help find someone for you that can actually meet up with you consistently and give you the discipleship that you need? Um, so having a strategy and having the permission to say no, but actually not just going, well, sorry, I can't do it, but actually then helping them find and find a way to do it, that, that could be a way of going about it. Um, and if you're good enough at your schedule, you might say, yeah, I can meet up with you in three months time <laughs> and they'll find someone else too. So that's another way. Okay. Uh, let, let, there's two questions, similar theme. How do you, how do you balance productivity and personal pursuit of God, um, in Bible reading, prayer, um, it can feel quite unproductive. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to read or, um, you know, I've got all these things I want to do, but how do I keep coming back to God and fit that in um, and maybe two people share on that yeah well I, my first thought on that would be let's go back to our mission statement what is it that fundamentally God is calling you to do with your life if you really believe what the Bible teaches which is that you work for God and for his glory uh, and that that he wants to know you and love you, and that is part of your fundamental purpose in life. If you really believe that, I think this has got to be one of your pillars, you know, for your own sake, if nothing else, that 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 communing with God is wonderful for the soul. Um, so I would say um, part of the general principle we've been talking about rocks, and that is that you get the big things. This is the illustration. And you put the big rocks in first, and then the little things kind of drop in like sand around them. So you look at your schedule. And you say, this is one of the most important, this is the pillar of everything that I do because I work for God um, and and this is good for me and it's part of something fundamental to my purpose and so you, you, you put it in your schedule. And if you're struggling to have time for it, then I think, because there are seasons where it's hard, um, then then you, I guess, to come up with some sort of solution, you make that your, your real priority. Um, and the other thing I've kind of, um, kind of, come off the back of what Brendan's saying is that, you know, time with the Lord, it's actually 
a time where you, 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 you refill, um, where you, um, you know, I think if you just keep doing stuff, keep being productive, um, you'll lose joy. Um, you'll lose perspective. And I think time of the Lord just, you know, at, at his right hand is, is pleasures forevermore. You know, he satisfies. And, and so that time of the Lord, I think, will make you to be a better worker in his kingdom and, um, and, and, and hence more productive in that perspective. Productive in the sense of like, you know, in, in God's perspective, you are achieving things for him rather than just wasting time running on, on, a, on, a, on a mouse wheel. Nelly, did you want to throw in some thoughts about mums with little kids? It's hard. <laughs> um, I, and, and I think depending on your season of motherhood, it will look different. Um, so one of the things that he talks about, and I think coming back to productivity, what is our definition of productivity? And if we believe productivity is working unto the Lord, then we want to be spending time with him first and foremost. Um, and this book talks about getting up at 5am. Um, it actually references Carolyn Mahaney's Shopping for Time. Um, if we tried to get up at, well, we do get up at 5am most mornings and that's because our one-year-old is up at 5am. I'm not getting up at 4.30am. Um, but, um, so for right now, for us in this particular season, morning is tricky um, because our three tr- children are up with us and um, it, it, doing it. But for me personally, I've tried to manipulate, which sounds terrible, but I have. I've tried to manipulate all three children to have rest time and sleep time in the middle of the day. And the first thing I do in that time is my quiet time. Um, and so I send them up um, and I get my Bible. I make a coffee and get my Bible. And that's the first thing I do. So I do it before a workout. I do it before admin. I do it before that. And if I don't do it, I won't do it. Um, and so, however... <laughs> Then you hear the pit-pat, pit-pat down the stairs. Mummy, no, go away. I'm doing my quiet time. (laughs) And so then you're like, oh, what kind of witness am I? Um, But I'm growing in that. Um, But, yeah, it's a matter of priority. And so the first thing in the morning may not practically work for you in the season that you're in, but try to prioritise it as soon as you can. Um, A saying I've heard... And it's reflected in one of the next questions is, you know, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. Um, and, and so someone texts in saying, I find that extremely efficient and productive people only get busier and busier by taking more and more on and eventually burn out. How can you avoid falling into that trap? Yeah, if once someone finds out that you're an effective and efficient, productive person, then you're a target. So <laughs> I think the... I'm not a terribly efficient person, so it's not me. Um, But I think the book speaks to it a little bit as well because it talks about productivity not being efficiency. And so it's being productive is doing what you're there to do and doing it well and loving people. It's not just ticking things off a list and being efficient. And so that's what's that's also helped me with this. And so it wants me to think about being productive. I want to work more efficiently, but it's then prioritizing what are the things I want to be doing and what are the things I'm called to do so I'm not just getting all the other bits coming in because I can now do them and I've actually got capacity on my plate. It's no, well, I've got this schedule and I've got these items I want to achieve today. I've done them and I've done them well, but it doesn't mean I now have all this extra capacity just because I can do something quicker. 
Like we live in an age now where things are, we should be more efficient because there's systems and things like that that mean we don't need to do as many manual things anymore. Things are, like for me, things now, half the tax return comes to me pre-populated, so I don't even need to put stuff into it, which is great. But that then doesn't mean I might be doing it more efficiently, but it actually means my task is to actually help this person work through things with that person. So they don't need to know it took me five minutes to, pre- to do their tax return because then it means I actually get an extra 10, 15 minutes to talk through things and plan things with them. So while I was more efficient there, I've actually become more productive hmm. because I'm able to help that. And so rather than then just saying, well, I can now do 10 tax returns in an hour, it's no, what's my, what am I here to do? So I've done it more efficiently so I can actually be more productive. Yeah, to that um, point um, as well, like one of the um, dare, right, the R is called reduce. So if you're really clear about what God is calling you to do and you've got a system where you're aware of what time you have in the week and you've you've slotted things in and you're going to be faithful to try and do that, also one of the things you need to do is to be really clear on the things that you shouldn't be doing and and so you know that's one of the things that drives you crazy about cj mahaney is we always ask him and he always says no (laughs) and you do the same to me and i find it annoying because i'm a yes person because i want to please you and i ask brendan hey can you do this he's like i might get around to it in two months i'm like no just say yes (laughs) yeah but i think it comes from being clear on what is god calling you to do and what's it now if you read the chapter, he has other things that he'll talk about. For instance, um, delegating. Um, and by that, he actually really means more like, uh, like uh, for, for most delegation, more like discipleship, actually. It's, it's coming alongside someone and lovingly training them how to do something that God is not calling you to do, but he might be calling them to do. Um, so it just comes from that crystal, like clear laser clear focus on what is God calling me to do and what is he not. Um, I think that's the main way to avoid overdoing it and burning out. And recognize it, it just feels unchristian to say no, right? It just feels wrong to say, no, I can't do that. And obviously you're not going to say it like that, but but probably potentially it's the most, it may be the most loving thing to do. And we're, we're a real people-pleasing culture in Australia. Yeah. We actually really avoid don't. Avoid confrontation. We avoid, it may, it's a fruit of mateship culture. Because it's a, such a strong mateship culture, we don't want to offend anyone ever. So that's why Dave's sermon on Sunday is so powerful. Because it's like, no, actually to love people, you you have to be honest and have honest conversations about, about things. And we don't want to do that. And the same way, we don't want to upset someone by saying no to them. Um, but sometimes part of being faithful means to say no. You clearly don't fear me. Okay, um, say no to me all the time. No, uh, I like this one. Let's go. How do you try to prioritize the many evangelistic things I would like to do, or you would like to do? Now, how do you fit mission in? You got a heart for it, but there's a hundred other things. You know, we're called to make disciples. How do we make that happen? a big voice. Um, I, I, I think um, the Jeff Vandersvelt book 
um, is very gospel fluency is quite helpful um, on this topic because he talks about doing mission in our rhythms of life and so um, you know if your children play sport making the most of the conversations on the sideline if you work full-time making you know for me as a teacher making the most of the staff room at lunchtime um, if you're a parent with children making the most and I'm terrible at this my sister could win the whole playground but you know making the most of conversations with parents that are standing next to you while your child's going down the slippery slide um, or opening your home and just as as part of your rhythm. So I think that was super helpful rather than just seeing, oh, I've got to do mission today or I've got to do this today, just having mission as a natural part of your your week, your schedule. And I think, Brendan, you certainly lead by example in that. One, one thing on this, like... I. In my role map under individual, like my my life map, the life map role map, um, I have mission as one of those items. But then just practically when you're thinking about your calendar, something I got from Dave um, Taylor is to use different colors for things you put in your calendar. So when it's something for your job, you might put it in green. This is what the colors we use. When it's something for your family, um, we put it in our calendar in blue. And then when it's something that you're doing specifically to be on mission, we're put in red. And so you're just looking at each week or maybe every couple of weeks and you're just saying, are all the colors present, you know, in that week? And if there's, if I'm not seeing any red, maybe that's a cause for asking a question. Am I being faithful? You know, am I faithfully welcoming people into my home? Or maybe I don't have many opportunities and I think about connecting more with the community and so on and so forth. And um, also, I think the other point was having having about mission. Um, don't think as a kind of a, a separate category. It, it is a category, but also, let's say for example, get the family involved. If you, if you have a family, or if you have um, friends, get them involved because that's part of hanging out, part of fellowship. It's part of training the family to, to be in mission. So, I think this thing think broader than just mission. Oh, if mission means me just going out. You know, um, doing that to and, and in, in exclusion of all other things, but actually, mission can form, uh, you know, as part of life, and it can hit a couple of more other things like, you know, how do I, how, how am I teaching my kids to be praying for their friends who don't know Jesus? Um, these are all kind of great training opportunities as we go about missions. And if you really stuck, come and talk to me, and we'll find lots of things to get you involved. <laughs> All right, this one's targeted to Ollie and Nelly. Special question for you guys. Two questions. Number one, how do you make time as a couple and what do you do to strengthen each other's faith? Let's go that and then I'll ask you the second one. For us, we found um, it's really helpful when we go out together because if we spend time together at home, we end up just doing admin or cleaning or whatever it's going to be or we sit and watch telly and so we've prioritized to make sure once a month we get to go out for dinner together or go out together and the way we do that is we've done a date night swap with Janelle's sister and her husband so every month we sit for them and they go out and they sit for us and we go out so it just means straight away we know every month that's in the diary so we've got at least one going out together and then Potentially we might get another one or something, but generally in our season at the moment, it's once a month, is we get out to do that. And so that's how we prioritise that. Uh, you talk to the next bit. Well, that's it. 
I think we also prioritise things where we still try to do things together. So we're not one off doing one thing and one off doing other, you know, another thing. We still try and as much as we can, um, where we can, yeah, do things as a couple, not just a parent that way and a parent that way. Um, and we also, you know, having dinner, sitting down and stopping and having our conversation once the children are in bed. We're kind of quite strict with bedtime. It's like, right, we're done. You're, you go to bed and now it's our time. Par- <laughs> we, parenting is over. That's right. <laughs> At 7pm. You woke up? Why? No, um, but <laughs> it's um, because if you if your children are going to bed at eight, nine, you know, there is no time. And I get, depending on the season, you know, Amy Taylor, go to bed earlier. Um, no, but depending on the season of life, that's just not practical. But for the season we're in, um, yeah, trying to maximise the nights we do have free um, to have time together. And then I think in terms of we talk about what we're reading um we we pray together at different times um we you know in, we chat about um i think also sorry to is just being physically present at group together is really helpful um i think depending on the season it could be one spouse is going one week the other spouse is going another week and so you actually never get to group together um we have the i don't think it's a luxury but group is in our home um and so it means that we are getting to group together but i think that if you can make that happen that will really and can really um, bless your relationship. But certainly, um, yeah, we we don't do a quiet time together, but we talk about what we're reading um, or what God's teaching us. And often it, when we do go out for dinner, we have specific questions, you know, to ask each other just so we can check in on some of the, the deeper things that aren't just parent-related. And do you have a family mission statement? Not one that's been articulated. I didn't have, I didn't have a mission statement until about half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Great. But it's something that we might consider. And I think it's like, as our kids grow up, it's something that we'd want to have as a discussion point and that we talk through and that we, this is what our family, like we talk about the fact that on Sundays as a family, we go to church. So like our eldest is four and so she gets it and so does Mim, who's three but it's just that there's not big concepts really yet. So that's a, that's sort of, the, as far as they're concerned, that's our mission statement at the moment. Great. Okay, question for me. Going back to the calendar colours idea, going back to prioritising, scheduling rest, our first question, all those things. How do we think about entertainment leisure (laughs) like do we schedule that in do we schedule in you know 7 p.m to 3 a.m binge watch tv series or i'm going to watch the footy at 4 p.m on a sunday or you know whatever it is you know whatever you do um should we go that far as to schedule those things in it might help but what, what, what do you guys think about that is it a big rock would be my first question in terms of like, do you have to watch the footy at four o'clock because that's a family yes. tradition and you sit down together as a family? And if that's the case, I would say, yes, you schedule that in because that's something you as a family want to do together. But the way I appreciated your schedule, Brendan, was that you had free time and things like that. And it's not necessarily like it would do my head in if I had a to-do list of what I had to do in my free time. Like it's just, that's not how I would operate. Some people might, but having, you know, like we will talk about 
we'll look at our calendar and it'll be what nights are we home this week together. So it's just that, okay, they're nights when we can stop and actually rest together. And that's, so we haven't gone as far as a schedule yet, but that tells me that that's something that we want to make sure we just have time. And so that time might be whatever it might be, but it's, yeah, I think if you want to, it's important to schedule leisure time and to make sure that you do that. But I don't think you, unless it's a big rock, you need to schedule a footy game. I would never schedule a footy game. Also probably depends on the season. Like obviously rest is really important. Like um, in the beginning, God created the world in six days and then on the seventh he rested. So something intrinsic to the whole world that is in this rhythm of work and rest. So we need to rest. I wonder if it's in part a season of life question as well. Like some people are living lives at a really frantic pace because of the season they're in. They'll have like nine gazillion children and, you know, they're both working executive jobs and, you know, and and it feels like time is really scarce and the family's never together and so that that becomes really important. Other people are more in the season. I was in for a long time as a single guy. You know, I was was, um, studying. Um, um, I probably, you know, when do I need to find time to rest? It's I'm, I'm more thinking from the angle of how do I make the most use of all the time I have in that season, you know, rather than the other way around, which is some people are uh, thinking more about when could I possibly find time to rest in the season I'm in. So I think there's a season of life element to it as well. Um, yep. <laughs> Bailed at the last minute. <laughs> no, I think that's a, that's a good way of thinking about it too, is if you're an under-optimizer of your life, if you're cruising through and you feel like, oh, I don't, I'm not that busy. I mean, you know, I've worked my way through all of the Apple TV catalog. Uh, there's nothing left. Um, maybe you need to start going, I better make the best use of my life. Uh, but if you've overcapitalized your life, you need to go, I will not work at these certain times. Everything else is up for grabs, but thou shall not work here. So I actually do rest. And so it's that, you know, maybe that's the way of at least blocking out or blocking in more work. Um, is probably the way of um, doing it. The last question, and this one, this one's from me. How would the doctrine of sin impact our work and our productivity? Well, the the first place the doctrine of sin impacts is myself personally, in that I am no no one naturally desires to have a mission statement that's all about glorifying God. Our, our natural inclination is to have a life mission statement that's all about glorifying myself, actually, where my focus of my life, how I'm going to use my time, my talents, my treasure is about me. That's We have to recognize, if we're going to be honest, that's where we all naturally lean. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus, he's rescued us, given us the Holy Spirit and a desire to be like Christ. So I think that's the first entry level of sin in the world is that it affects what I even would choose to orient my life around. I'm going to be primarily and i'm constantly going to be pulled to drift away from that mission statement that life goal towards something else that's probably self-related because my fleshly instinct is going to be to serve myself and not christ and others so that's the first place i think the second place is that it gives you realistic expectations for your work um because in this lifetime we're not expecting um work to be perfect uh, work to be ultimately satisfying. In fact, we're told to expect it won't be. 
because God has cursed it. And when you're living for Christ, there's going to be incredible joy in work. There's going to be rich seasons, um, even in mundane jobs. You know, when I was working at St. Vincent's in the city as a physiotherapist, my job was so incredibly mundane. So so many people wouldn't last long in that job because they felt like it's walking old people, um, getting them up out of their bed, taking them for a walk, putting them back in their bed, writing something in the notes, going to the next person, doing the same. And yet I found it so filled with joy because I could see in that season, God helped me to see that he had me in working with all those people for a reason. And I was praying about having opportunities to share Christ with people. And it was wonderful. It was really great work. But we expect brokenness in our work. And I think so often when it comes to thinking about our work, we we buy into a worldly philosophy that says your work should be really satisfying. You should have real joy and contentment in your work. And if you don't have that, something must be wrong. When I think the doctrine of sin says, no, something is wrong, and that is sin, and that God has cursed work, uh, but you're there for a purpose because Christ has placed you there. So you carry on serving Christ even when there's conflict, even when there's difficulty. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's it's recognizing the effect it has on our mission statement that we naturally don't want to lean that way, and then recognizing what we should expect from our work, which is toil and sweat, but with joy because it's for Christ, yeah. and he's redeeming it. So how about I pray uh, that the Lord would redeem our work uh, and ours as workers. Well, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, We as your people submit to your will and ask that you would glorify yourself through us. Liberate us from the curse of sin and the curse of on work, the toil, Um, Through Christ, may your spirit reside in us such that we would seek to glorify you and to love others and pour ourselves out um, for the good of those around us and for the glory of your name. Uh, And Lord, I pray and ask that you would give us patience and faithfulness and steadfastness, a sacrificial spirit, joy and peace and cheerfulness, knowing that we do not work for you in vain, uh, but everything is seen by you, everything will be rewarded by you when done for the right motive. And so, Lord, help us to work with that day in mind when uh, you will, um, you know, we will give an account and we'll be rewarded. And that's just an incredible privilege that you would reward us for our toils here on earth. So fill us with your spirit and help us to um, live for you. Amen.